0: Dr. Dish Basketball, we're creating basketball shooting machines that accelerate player performance. With features like on-demand workouts, multiplayer stat tracking, and instant analytics, Dr. Dish Basketball is the number one source for basketball training. Whether you're training in your driveway, running a practice, or developing a workout program, we have the most innovative training solutions to help your players practice like they play. And just for listening to this podcast, you qualify for an exclusive discount. Just mention Championship Vision Podcast to your sales rep when you call in. For more information, visit drdishbasketball.com or call 952-873-2633. Again, that number is 952-873-2633. And remember, be better every day.
1: Coaches, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast, Coach Kevin Furtado, Episode 273. Today we have legendary coach Bill Hodges. I think you're going to be really excited uh, about his presentation today. Coach is going to talk about his coaching story of perseverance and how coaches can really dedicate themselves to improve their craft. Uh, He's also going to talk about his story uh, about recruiting the legendary Larry Bird on what it took to get him to Indiana State University. I think you're going to really enjoy his story. Bill Hodges was born in Lebanon, Indiana, and grew up near Zionsville, Indiana, where he attended high school and played basketball for Indiana Hall of Fame coach Jim Rosenstiel. After graduation, Hodges spent four years in the United States Air Force, where he traveled the Far East. After completing his armed forces duty, he attended Edison Junior College in Fort Myers, Florida, where he played basketball for Indiana and Florida Hall of Fame coach, Hugh Thimler. Hodges transferred from Edison to Purdue University before he completed his collegiate degree at Marion University in Indianapolis, Indiana, where he became a student basketball coach. He went on to Tennessee Tech University in Cookville, Tennessee, where he received his master's degree and became a full-time assistant college basketball coach. Bill spent the next 10 years as an assistant coach and 16 years as a head coach at Indiana State, Georgia College, and Mercer University. He is most well-remembered for his tenure at Indiana State University, whereas ISU Sycamores, led by Larry Bird, were the runners-up to Michigan State in the 1979 NCAA National Championship. Hodges was named AP, UPI, Sporting News, and Kellogg National Coach of the Year for his inaugural year as a head coach. After his retirement from basketball basketball coaching, Bill was drafted back into coaching as the basketball coach at Roanoke Catholic High School until they dropped their varsity program. He was then hired to rebuild the North Cross School program and in two years coached them to a 60 and 12 record and one final four and one state championship runner up position. Bill presently resides with his daughter Zoe's family in the villages in Florida. Coaches, let's welcome the great Bill Hodges. Okay. Coaches, uh, welcome to the Championship Vision podcast. Today is episode 273, so we've done quite a few podcasts as Coach Hodges. Hey, we got the legendary Bill Hodges. Um, He's really going to share with us, you know, perseverance in coaching. He's going to offer us some great insight into his career, uh, things that he's learned, some either mistakes or or great things that he's learned from his many years of coaching. And of course, he's going to share some, hopefully, some great stories about his relationship with the great Larry Bird. Coach Hodges, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. Thank you, Kevin. I've, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, we're so honored to have you. Coach, talk about, I know you're an Indiana born and bred, and that, that means if you are, that means you're a basketball junkie. I know that basketball is a big part of Indiana. Talk about where you grew up and how you got into coaching.
2: I grew up on in a small town, Uh, a little bitty town north of uh, uh, Zionsville and east of Lebanon. And uh, uh, I went to Zionsville to high school. We didn't have a high school in the township I grew up in. And, you know, my dad uh, uh, worked in an oil refinery, and and we farmed also. Yeah, and how did, where did basketball, and, and when
1: you were growing up, we always talk about Hoosiers the great 1954 Milan team I guess if I said that correctly Um, why was basketball so important not only in your community but in the state of Indiana
2: yeah I'm not sure but uh, the scuttlebutt and I don't you'd have to fact check this uh, was that uh, Dr. Naismith was the director of the YMCA in Crawfordsville Indiana Uh which is kind of west and north of Indianapolis. And uh, uh, supposedly that's where basketball got its start. And, uh, you know, the teams from right around that area were the first ones to win the state championship. Uh, And, you know, in my own county, Thorntown, I think won it in 1915. That's how long ago the state championship uh, uh, endured. Right. And you have played for some great legendary coaches and make sure
1: I say their names, right. Jim Rosenthal and you, Thimler. Uh, Talk about Hall of Fame legendary coaches. What influence did they have on you?
2: Well, uh, you know, I played freshman basketball for Alfred Rosenstiel, Jim's dad. And, uh, you know, he had been the head coach there and then Jim took over. And uh, of course, uh, Jim's in the Indiana Hall of Fame, and and he's probably best known for coaching at Lebanon in, instead of Zionsville, where he had the great Rick Mount, yes. and Rick Rick and I are real close friends, he lived next door to my brother, and you know, I got started in basketball, my brother's eight years older than me, and he was a really good high school player, and I wanted to be like him, I was the youngest of six, and uh, uh, my older brother kind of, Uh, mentored me and, and uh, he helped me and he's the reason why I went to Zionsville to high school.
1: Yeah. And where did you, um, you know, we talked about, you know, growing up with the game and so forth. Um, how did those coaches like coach Stimler and coach Rosenstiel, what, how did they influence your, uh, coming into coaching? I mean, where did you kind of grow up into, Hey, I want to be a coach.
2: Well, you know, (laughs) as a freshman and sophomore, uh, I didn't, I thought homework was, uh, uh, you know, I, I didn't do homework. You know, we had uh, my home, my homework was milking the old cows when I got home, when I got up in the morning and, uh, uh, you know, feeding the pigs and, you know, I didn't, uh, I didn't do homework. So my grades kind of reflected that. And then when I was a junior, uh, You know, I was starting on the varsity and, and that's when I decided that, you know, I wanted to be like coach Rosesteel. And, uh, uh, so I, I, uh, I decided that I was going to be a coach, but, uh, uh, by the time I got out of of high school, uh, my grades weren't good enough to get uh, a scholarship in college. And, and, you know, back then you didn't, you, if you'd asked for a loan to go to college, they'd have laughed at you. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Right. So uh can you see me? I can, yes sir. Uh, yeah. Uh so I, I didn't uh I went to the Air Force right out of high school mm-hmm. and stayed four years. When I got out, uh I was uh, I wanted to go back to college. I wanted to be a coach. I knew what I did. And I worked for a year and then a guy came up and he was recruiting and we were playing summer basketball, outdoor uh, summer basketball leagues. And uh, uh, he saw me play, and I talked him into giving me a scholarship. I had coached, I had played against him. Uh, he coached at Pike Township High School there in Indianapolis, and, and it was about two miles from Zionsville. And he remembered me, and and uh, he gave me a scholarship. Uh, you know, I was older, on the condition that I would uh, uh, be the dorm daddy we had he had he had bought a uh, an old firehouse at uh, page field and we all lived in this big uh, firehouse and yeah. uh, uh, i was kind of the dorm daddy he was like i was like 24 years old and all these kids were a lot younger than me yeah absolutely that, yeah that was hugh Thimler. he had coached high school basketball in indiana for a long time and then he coached high school ball in in florida and then Uh, He coached for 30 years at Edison Junior College, which is now Southwestern State, I think, in Fort Fort Myers, Florida.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Coaching is one of those – coaching is a journey, right? I mean, I I couldn't tell you how many schools I've coached at, okay? And it's all about perseverance, right? Because, hey, some jobs you're going to do great. Some jobs you're going to struggle. You might get fired. It's all about perseverance and coaching. I think a lot of coaches go into it with the wrong attitude. Like sometimes I know I learned more from the jobs I struggled at than the were the ones I've won. What's your philosophy on that?
2: Well, you know, (laughs) my first, my first job at coaching a team I had the freshman team at Tennessee tech. I was a graduate assistant and, you know, I did everything my high school coaches did. And I was real successful at doing that. Of course, I was doing the recruiting too. And, uh, you know, I went back to Indiana and recruited some really good players from Indiana. And uh, so, you know, I got a good start. I, I had a good foundation from playing for Coach Steele and for uh, Hugh Thimler. Both of them had played for Tony Hinkle at Butler. Tony Hinkle, uh,
0: yeah.
2: Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, when I, when I was in grade school, uh, we had a superintendent who was the, uh, he was in charge of all the, the maintenance and grounds at Butler. And he would take us to the Butler games. So I I watched uh, Tony Hinkle coach and, you know, I was, I'm a big fan of, of Butler and Tony Hinkle. Uh, but I had a good foundation. So uh, when I took over at, at Indiana State, uh, I had I'd learned defense from Coach King, who had been uh, the head coach, and I was his assistant. And I didn't change anything on defense, but we changed uh, offense and started running uh, a lot of the things I'd learned from Coach Steele and Coach Stimler. And there was a high school coach that came to Tennessee Tech as an assistant named Jen Bradbury, who had coached at Fort Highland, Kentucky in high school. And I learned an offense from him that was one of the best offenses I've ever run. Uh, he called it the rover. Okay. And he, he had got it from some high school coach in Ohio. And uh, uh, that's what we ran with Larry Bird at Indiana State. And I've, I've used it ever since. And uh, when I uh, got to the, uh, the villages, I taught it to uh, Coach McDowell. And he still uses it today.
1: I want you to try to teach it to – Hey, that's an insight there, Coach. Now, you, if you have your diagram board, I wish you had one with you. I love this. Either you diagram it or can you describe it to us?
2: Uh, well, it's a case where you can hide some some kids that aren't very uh, talented offensively. Exactly, yeah. Uh, you just put them put them down on the block. You have to have one player that uh, can do everything and uh you know i've generally been fortunate enough to have one that could i could run and and they run from one side of the floor to the other and you play off of them with a two okay. guard front uh you know i've got it uh, uh printed out i'll be glad to send you a copy if you'll uh let me know your address absolutely coach um yeah if you could um i think um if
1: either that, you can download it. And so I would love to see it, Coach. I think a lot of coaches out there
2: would love to see it as well. Called the Rover, right? Yeah. Uh, I gave it to Tubby Smith. I think he's still running it too. <laughs> oh, Tubby. Yeah, for
1: sure. Um now Would you run them off of, let's say, I'm assuming it'd be for Larry
2: Bird. Would you run them off some double screens? How, I mean, kind of give well, us an idea. Actually, you've got a, a guy on each block. hmm and he runs like a three route and and takes his his player off uh pick off of them from one side to the other you go uh from one side up into the middle and then down below the other one and if they try to run over the top he'll just uh reverse fields and and you know you just play off of him and and uh your two guard uh it gets all kind of open shots and you've you've always you got to if, you, if the rover shoots the ball, you know, if he's a 40% shooter, 50% shooter, uh, the offside rebounder knows he's going to shoot. He just wow. pins his guy in, and, and he, he's got a great chance of getting the offensive rebound.
1: Yeah, that, that's really great. And, of course, you know, I mean, people don't realize how smart Larry Bird was as a player. Talk about – I mean, I, I think personally – not only is he the all-time smartest player, there's some smart players now, but, man, he was so crafty. Talk about his basketball
2: IQ, Coach. Well, I think a lot of it has to go back to high school. Jim Jones was his high school coach, and, you know, he he, he taught great fundamentals. Larry's a great fundamental player. You know, uh, the things that Larry did to get open were very similar uh, to what uh, uh, Jim Rosensteel taught Rick Mount. Mm-hmm. Rick Mount was unbelievably crafty at getting open, and and uh, he could shoot. Well, he's probably the greatest shooter I ever saw in person, and that includes Larry. Right. And yeah. uh, you know, the, you 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 got a guy that's uh, Larry was six three as a as a sophomore, mm-hmm. and and six three as a junior, and then he grew four inches between his junior and senior year. And he, he had guard skills as, as a post player. Right. So, uh, you know, I think he learned to get open uh, from the fundamentals that he learned from, from Jim Jones and from his high school coach's senior year as well, Gary Holland. And, uh, you know, they, when they get to college, you can teach them a few things. You can teach defense. But if they don't have their fundamentals offensively, when they get to college, it's, it's tough. Do you see that a lot now with um, high school coaches?
1: I know a lot of it's AAU and travel ball. Um, do you think that's missing in the game? I think players are getting more t- – I think they're more athletic. But I'm not sure if they're there's not too many players that are as skilled as what Larry Bird was.
2: Well, I think the, the key there is when they get to college, none of the colleges run offense anymore. They run high pick and roll and, and- – I- and throw it uh, back out you know penetrate and throw it yeah. back out you know yeah. we used to play foreign teams when i was at indiana state and we used to make fun of them for penetrating and throw the ball back outside to shoot long shots right said, why Why would you do that but we didn't know about the three point rule <laughs> you know we learned uh, and that's all anybody does anymore they run down the floor and, you know i was talking with jim hatfield who was uh, an assistant kentucky under joe hall and it was his birthday uh, 2 days ago and i said hat yeah you know, i've got all these channels i watch basketball uh with espn plus and I, you know i get to watch everything but high school and it's boring you know you don't see you don't see any anything there's no inside play to speak up right uh, Purdue, Purdue might be the exception of that uh, but, uh, most of them run down the floor and shoot threes, you know, run a high pick and roll and throw it to the corner. Uh, we always considered that a bad shot. We thought wing shots were better, uh, right. but, uh, I, you know, everybody runs the same thing and they, they don't, you know, you don't, you don't see, uh, penetration is not denied much anymore, uh, because they want to guard the three point line, let them penetrate. Wow.
1: Yeah, the games change, hasn't it, coach? I remember, I guess, you know, I mean, remember, I, I kind of grew up in the day uh, of the double low post. We all had, we grew up, all right, we're going to have two low post players, <laughs> three out, yes. two in, you know, screen away, whatever. We're going to try to get it inside. That is non existent. Why are we, I know, I know it's analytics and the three point shot, but man, we've really gone just the opposite,
2: haven't we? Well, in high school, you still see, Uh, some post play, but uh, not in college. You know, the only team I've seen uh, really run any post play has been Purdue all year. And, uh, you know, when you got a seven foot four guy, you better run a little bit of post play. Right. Well, even the bigs nowadays, coach, you watch it on TV. The bigs are on
1: the perimeter. Uh, Anthony Davis, he's on the perimeter shooting. I mean, mid range. I mean, it's crazy
2: you know, I I live here in uh, uh Sylvan North Carolina and my my grandkids go to Western Carolina and I go to their games I've got season tickets and yeah. they've got a 610 kid that transferred here from Kansas State that's another thing that's got me boiling over is is the transfer rules yeah. but uh, he's 610 and he only shoots threes <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't play with his back to the basket at all you know but uh, yeah. speaking of that transfer rule, college—I don't know who came up with that idea, but whoever it was has ruined college basketball, in my estimation. Yeah, kids. Yeah, as soon as the first
1: time they see that, uh, don't you think a lot of parents are more involved now? Where if kids aren't getting enough minutes, boom, they're they're in the transfer portal. Uh, to me, that just—that
2: you're right. It just definitely ruins the ethics of the game. Yeah, if, if they had to sit out and go to school for five years instead of go to school for four, you wouldn't see that as much. You know, we didn't have a lot of transfers uh, back in the day. We had some, uh, you know, it was okay to transfer and they'd sit out, which really was good for, for a lot of kids. Larry Bird had to sit out, but he lost his freshman year. See, if you transferred during your freshman year back then, you lost your freshman year. Right. So he only he only played three. He he was in Indiana State for four years, but he only played three years. Yeah, and it's just the opposite. Now kids come for their freshman year
1: and they think they're good enough to go to the pros. And that's another issue. Uh, uh, but um, hey, let's talk about Larry Bird. Um, they're creating a new movie about you and Larry. Uh, Patrick Wood and Steve uh, Zuckerman are the producers of that Uh, or the writers and creators of that uh, new movie going to be coming out and the I mean a lot of people are talking about how this is going to be another epic movie on Indiana basketball and the great story behind how you influenced Larry Bird to come to Indiana State. Uh, I don't know how much you can share about that but we would love insight into kind of the relationship you had and what kind of person Larry Bird was.
2: Well, you know, uh, I saw Larry play when he was a junior, I was up there looking at, a, at Kurt Gilstrap at, at uh, another school yeah. and saw Larry play and, you know, he was 6'3", I said, well, that kid's really good, but he's, you know, I don't know if he's quick enough to play guard at the Division One level. And then I saw him again in the Indiana All-Star game and he'd grown four inches. And, uh, I changed my mind real quick. I thought he's the best player on the all-star team. As it turned out, he was, it's just that he was the 11th pick, you know, he's from small town, Southern Indiana and didn't get much publicity. And, uh, you know, if he hadn't signed at Indiana university, he probably wouldn't have been on the all-star team. Uh, you know, he's not the only one Kentucky, uh, didn't have, uh, Uh, Big Red that went to Florida State and then played for Boston Celtics, Dave Cowens. He didn't make the all-star team. So Larry wouldn't have been the only one. But, uh, you know, when I got to Indiana State, I asked Coach King if they had been recruiting Larry. I said, you know, he's down in French Lick. And he said, no. I said, uh, he said, do you think he's good enough? I said, Coach, he can get double-doubles for us, you know and uh he said well maybe you better go see him then and so the next day i was in french lick and looking all over for him had a heck of a time finding him but uh when i finally got to sit down and talk with him you know his background being a small town boy we were a lot you know we were a lot alike Mm -hmm. and uh, he was so shy he wouldn't look at you he looked at the floor when he talked to you and uh Uh, We talked about him coming to visit Indiana State, and and, uh, we talked about his teammates, and and, uh, uh, he had a kid that played was a year older than him, and he said, uh, uh, you know, you need to be recruiting Kevin Carnes, but I don't know if he'd come. You know, he's married and has, uh, you know, I think his wife might be pregnant, and I don't know if she'd let him, but uh, he'd have been a great player if he had gone to college. And I looked at him and said, Larry, they're going to say that about you one of these days if you don't take advantage of this opportunity. And I think that's probably, that, that really rang a bell with him. And I think that probably is the reason why uh, he, he ended up at Indiana State. But uh, the movie, uh, you know, uh, Patrick Wood wrote this, you know, a few years ago. And I've known him for a while, he's from Indiana, he's from Fort Wayne, and, and he and Zuckerberg went to uh, Ball State, they were uh, fraternity brothers, and they've had separate jobs, uh, you know, both of them are in California and L.A., but he's stayed in touch with me over the years, and then during COVID, uh, he called and he said, hey, we want to do this movie. And I said, <laughs> you know, I have no problems with that. Go ahead. And uh, I didn't, I didn't think they'd do it. I, you know, but uh, you know, as things went on, they kept uh, in touch and and called and and sent you know emails and and you know, uh, the movie is about me recruiting Larry more than it is about Larry. You know, it's wow. in, in his play. And uh, so that's kind of. Uh, you know it happens over a pretty short time, and uh, of course they've dramatized it. You know as they do, it's right. it's like uh, uh, you know when we were talking about uh, Hoosiers. Right. Uh, that's about uh, a team that won the state championship in 1954 from Milan, Indiana. Island, yes. And a, a kid named Bobby Plump. Uh, but, uh, you know, they dramatized a lot of that. But uh, it, the basic part was, you know, all about uh, how a small team with 90 students in high school uh, could beat uh, uh, Muncie Central. And, uh-huh. and, and uh, Muncie Central had 4,000 in high school, you know. So uh, th- that's kind of, uh, and I think they may have beaten South Bend Central too. Uh, of course, South Bend Central is where John Wooden started his coaching career. He was a high school coach there.
1: Another Indiana legend right there. I mean, for sure,
2: <laughs> for sure. But, uh, I, th- I think he probably well, know probably about it. He's the best college coach that ever lived mm-hmm. in my estimation. Yeah. He was just a, yeah.
1: And John Wooden's like a whole nether podcast because of what he meant to the game, just on his teaching and philosophy on how the game should be taught. Um, but but talking about Larry, Larry, I want to hear the story about, Larry worked for the uh, street department uh, there back in French Lick, correct? Uh, That's correct. And, and it's like he was not planning on going to play basketball anymore. The story's amazing, Coach. And I, what I love about you is just like you connected with my wife, Nikki, um, who when, when she played for Georgia College you have an amazing presence and, you know, connection with people. And Larry Bird probably would not ever go on to play unless you connected with them. Was it that close for him? Just kind of continue on working for uh, the street department in French lit.
2: Well, I don't know, you know, uh, uh, when you look back on it, when we sat there and we talked about a lot of things we talked about bailing, Hay. you know, uh that's how we made our money during the summer uh, mm-hmm. they'd pay us uh, we'd get a group of guys and they'd pay us three to four cents a bale uh to put the hay, put it up and put it in the barn that's right. and he that's did right. he did the same thing and you know we had a lot of you know, We played uh basketball on the, on the outdoor courts and and just we had a lot in common and uh, when we sat there and talked uh, you know, ask him what he was doing for, and he was working for the street department. I said, what all you do? He said, well, you know, different things on Mondays, we'll clean the parks and pick up the lambs and, and uh, mow the grass and, and uh, maybe Tuesday we'll paint curves and Wednesday. And he went on, he said, on Thursday, we always pick up garbage. And I said, what, you know, on a garbage truck? He said, yeah. I said, you drive the tech? He said, hell no, Sam drives the truck. I'm on the back. (laughs) And the other assistant was there with me and and we kept going and I asked Larry, uh, I said, well, Larry, you think you'll come to visit us at Indiana State? He said, well, I don't know. And the other assistant said, well, what do you want to work on a garbage truck for $2 the rest of your life? And Larry looked at him and said, well, I kind of like the job. And I, it kind of ticked him off. So I, I thought, mm, I, better get a, I better get Stan and get out of here before Stan really makes him mad. And wow. uh, so I, said, I got up, I said, Larry, we, we, we got to go. I said, uh, you know, I'll be back in a couple of days, you know, and you think it over. But, uh, you know, he, kinda, he, he was okay with working that job. Uh, you know he was uh, he was uh, a gifted basketball player, but he's really humble. You know he, yeah. he didn't he didn't you know he didn't get to uh, to talking trash until he was in the pros. <laughs> right, right. Now he was a great player. Could tell me now, but
1: um that he they went when they uh I think it's him and some 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 other guys came to um came to your school and they actually scrimmaged some of your players and I think beat yeah. them pretty good, right?
2: Yeah, well, what happened is I i had gone back in two days and I had all the paperwork uh, already filled out. See, back then you had to get the permission of the school you're transferring from to transfer. And so I had all the paperwork filled out and had the address, uh, uh, the envelope address, had a stamp.
0: Dr. Dish Basketball's Virtual Camp 2.0 is now live. Our camp features drills and workouts from pro players, coaches, and trainers like Byron Scott, Quincy Pondexter, and four-time WNBA champ Lindsey Whalen. And though we're known for our shooting machines, the camp also features ball handling, agility, and conditioning drills to help athletes of all ages round out their game. A shooting machine is not required for this camp, but if you own or have access to a Dr. Dish CT or Dr. Dish home, you can follow along with our pre-built program and track your progress and your stats. Sign up today to gain access to the virtual camp 2.0 feature drills and workouts by visiting drdishbasketball.com slash virtual camp 2021. That's drdishbasketball.com slash virtual dash camp dash 2021.
1: Coaches, I'd like to welcome our new championship vision podcast sponsor, Huddle Assist. The best basketball coaches are relying on data more than ever. That's why coaches love Huddle Assist. With Assist, you get full game breakdowns, including complete team and player stats, in less than 24 hours. Your stats are ready when you need them. And Assist is more than just the box score. Use interactive reports like shot charts and advanced stats like lineup data, VPS, and of course, effective field goal percentage to coach smarter. Plus, Assist brings your stats to life. Every stat is marked on the video at the moment it happens. See every shot, turnover, rebound, and much more with just a few clicks. Want to see how Huddle assists is elevating basketball? Visit huddle.com slash assist. That's huddle.com assist to learn more. Huddle will also be at the Legends at the Grove Clinic on September 12th at Walnut Grove High School in Loganville, Georgia. Come stop by our table to chat and see what we have to
2: offer. on it and all I needed was Larry's signature and so when I went back they were uh, they invited me in the house and and fixed me some some iced tea and and uh, we sat there and chatted and he said how do you know I I would how do you know I was going to do the paperwork I was going to sign I said well you know this doesn't mean anything you don't have to uh, go anywhere but uh, if you sign this it gives you permission to go. And so he signed and I, I took it to the post office myself and mailed it. And, and uh, so I said, when, when would you guys like to come visit? Uh, you know, He asked me if a friend could come with him. I said, sure. And uh, so uh, he said, well, uh, you know, sometime this week, he said, uh, uh, do you practice in the afternoon? I said, yeah, our guys play pickup every afternoon. He said, what time? I said, generally at 3, 3.30. He said, okay, well, we'll think about it. Well, it, it, I forget what day it was, but uh, somebody came to my office and said, hey, coach, Larry Bird's looking for you. And I said, no kidding. So I got up and went out and, and they were in the gym. And uh, uh, him and, and three of his buddies, uh, I think, I think one or two of them was were his brothers. They were good players too. Yeah, just not near as tall as him. And uh, uh, I said, "Well, you guys want to you want to scrimmage against our guys?" He said, "Yeah." I said, "Well, you know, he he got jeans (laughs) jeans and t shirt." I said, "Yeah, you want me you want me get you some shorts to wear?" He said, "No, no, we're just playing these." That's right, and so. (laughs) our whole first five uh, at Indiana State that had had started the year before. Of course, this was our first year. So uh, I said, okay, and and, I said, get your team. So he said, well, we got four, we need one. And we put a a kid with them that uh, had been hurt the year before. He's coming back, he had a knee brace on. Kid from uh, Fort Wayne named Ron Barnes. Okay. And uh, so uh, Ron and the, the four French Lake guys uh, played the first five from Indiana State, and of course we weren't allowed to watch them. Uh, yeah, I won't right, say right. that I wasn't peeking through a crack, but uh, <laughs> we'll leave that one alone. <laughs> yeah. and what can they do? Now? <laughs> but uh, uh, they just they just beat the snot out of them. I mean, yeah. they hammered them. <laughs> and, i tell you, uh, Larry just, he, he, he really, he, he made our guys look real normal, <laughs> you know, but uh, not just him, the, the other kids from French Lake were just as good, but uh, uh, he really, uh, you know, after he got through playing, uh, I said, Larry, uh, you know, you have to sit out, and uh, Rick uh, Williams will be graduating, Jeff Sheuck will be graduating, Uh, and Giannis Ludix will be graduating. We got this guy back and that guy back and the other guy back and uh, I said uh, so there's two forward positions open Mm -hmm. and you know I said you have to earn them. You'd have to earn them but uh, I feel pretty certain that you would uh, be able to earn a spot and you know he later told people that that was one of the things that helped him make up his mind that I didn't promise him he would be, he, he would be a star. I didn't promise him uh, any playing time or that he would turn our program around. I just told him that the positions would be available. And I think he appreciated that me not BSing me.
1: Yeah, that's a great story coach. Um, and that says about, I think he, you guys being kind of similar in humility and, and being humble people, you knew, you knew that this kid came from, you know, kind of a tough background and so forth. When did you find out, like, what kind of team player? Because a lot of great players are out there. Larry Bird, I always thought, was a team first player. Uh, how did he interact with the other players? Because I remember him being a great team player just watching on television.
2: Yeah, well, you know, when he was playing in the All-Star game, he's the only guy that would pass the ball, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> he and, and a kid from uh, – uh well where was he was from Anderson Tony Marshall okay and and they would you know they'd put them in they'd get a lead and they'd take them out but they were the only two that would pass the daggum basketball and uh so I knew he was you know I'd I'd see him in high school you know Jim Jones you don't play for him unless you share the ball Mm -hmm. and uh, uh so I knew he was a team player but uh I didn't know how much of a team player he would be until uh, he got to Indiana State. Of course he had to sit out that first year and we had uh, two other red shirts that, so there were three guys and they, they would play uh, against our varsity every day. and It frustrated our varsity because they could never beat them. <laughs> but uh, uh, we had uh, those three guys. And then we had a couple of other guys that didn't get to play much. One of them was a little guy named Johnny Nelson. He mm-hmm. was from Rockville, Indiana. He was only 5'7". Uh, but uh, he was a great golfer. He ended up in, in Las Vegas coaching the golf team at one of the yeah. high schools. But uh, Larry wouldn't shoot the ball until Johnny had scored. And so, you know, I knew you knew then that you had a, a really a, a great team player those are the basketball instincts. I think people, I I just think certain
1: people, it's almost like, like Curry, you know, you watch, you know, Curry with the Warriors. It's like, they got, they got basketball intellect. I say like bird, you watch them, you watch them with the tip passes how we kind of interacted with other teammates. I think that's a lost art, The passing, the great passing
2: is a lost art, right coach? Oh, no question. I, you know, of course, today, you only have two passes and a shot That's right. uh, in college, and it's not like that in high school. Uh, my philosophy has always been you have to make them place both sides of the floor, and uh, we would do that. You know, our offense was set up with Larry where you would have to, uh, you know, you're going to have to play both sides of the floor before you get a shot, and uh, we didn't come down one pass shoot it very often. And we averaged eighty nine points a game that year, right? Yeah, for sure. And and people forget
1: that that Larry Bird wasn't a great defender, but he was a very smart defender.
2: Right, Coach? Can you give us insight into that? Well, I'll, I'll never forget Dave Cowens was uh, uh, he was coaching the Celtics, and he came and and I put him in the film room, and he watched film all day. And, you know, we had film from uh, Larry's senior year. We had film. And back then, they weren't on VHS. They were on 35-millimeter. And uh, so Dave watched film all day, and he said, Coach, he said, you know, this kid can really play offensively. But he said, I don't know if he can defense anybody in the league, and I don't know if he can rebound in the league. And I I looked at him. I said, "Well, I'm going to tell you something, Dave." And I didn't know Dave Cowens. That's the first time I'd ever met him. Yeah. I said, uh, "He'll be your best team defender." And uh, don't ever doubt he can rebound. I said, "You know, he his timing is is I mean, phenomenal." Yeah. And and he blocks out. You, you not many of your pros block out. He blocks out. And uh, of course, Dave didn't believe me, but uh, you know, he didn't, Dave retired after that year and uh, Larry didn't play with Dave Collins. And, and he came in there and, you know, for the first two years before they changed the rule where you had to be within 15 foot of the man you were guarding, he was all defensive team two years, Mm -hmm. his first two years because he was a great team defender. And, you know, he would always have one foot in the in the paint, you know, uh, ready to help double on the block. And, and, you know, he stole the ball a lot. And, yeah. I mean, he, he's a great team defender. Now, uh, he, you know, he wasn't, his feet aren't quick enough uh, to where he can defense a, a real three player. Uh, but he's, he, he anticipates so well that he could get where they were going before they got there. So he, he, he defended well, uh, and, you know, he was always their what their second leading rebounder every year. So, uh, Dave was way wrong on that.
1: Yeah, for sure. And it's not all about quick feet. I I, I think his, he has a quick mind. He was probably two or three plays ahead. Right. Right. Bill. Oh, no question
2: about it. And he could remember, you know, he had an uncanny memory, uh, he could remember what time on the clock something happened the day after the game. You know, it, it was amazing uh, what kind of a memory he had. Yeah, for sure, Coach. Hey, I I, I want to
1: kind of get into. I thought, of course, I was pulling for you guys in the in the uh, championship game against Michigan State. By the way, um, and I thought that was that was really a great game. Um, if you had to do it again, is there anything that you regret from that game? because uh, I know that you guys had just a great season. I think people forget how, what a fabulous year and program you have built there. Um, talk about the championship game and what it meant to you.
2: Well, you know, they had, uh, they had the player of the year in the big 10 and Greg Kelser. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody talks about magic, but Greg Kelser was the player of the year in the big 10, not magic. And, you know, there was one time in that game where we got behind and we pulled within six points and I was going to call a timeout and I didn't do it. And I still regret that to this day. And if we had called a timeout and got a little bit of rest, uh, we might have been able to pull that thing off. But after we, uh, you know, they, they, they ended up uh, getting eight points ahead and then they pulled it out and went to the four corners. Right. Well, you couldn't do that today. Yeah, but back back then they held the ball on us, and a kid that had shot like 30% all year hit five jump shots. And you know, when when you're playing against the four corner and you're trying to trap the ball, somebody has to be open. Right. That that kid was the kid we knew he he he's a 30% shooter, but he wasn't that day. And and, you know, I regret uh, not guarding him a little closer, maybe.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And there's always that one guy that you would not think, right? I got to deal with that, too, as a high school coach. You scout everything, right, Coach? You take away their best players, and it's always the third or fourth best player that kills them, That ends up
2: killing you. (laughs) Uh, Another thing, you know, we played seven players most of the time. I had an eighth player that was really good, and I didn't play him enough. And I've always – I've always thought if we, you know, we were a good pressing team, mm-hmm. but we generally never pressed in the first half. We always pressed in the second half, and we got down, uh, and and we started pressing and really made some headway. I, I've often thought uh, if we'd have started pressing starting that game and and used Rich Nimchek more, uh, that we would have been we would have played better. But you know, those are all second second guesses in hindsight. Yeah, it, you can. You generally, uh, by the time you you use hindsight, you've already lost one won the game. <laughs>
1: we could always look back. Uh, yeah, you know what? They're to me the two smartest players in basketball. Played in the same game. I mean, you played against one of the best all-time, Magic Johnson. Did you know at the time he was going to be as
2: special as he ended up being? He was a great player. Oh well, yeah, he's a six-nine point guard. I mean, how often <laughs> you find that? you know, I mean, he was really good. I thought they got a break. The the officials, I'll never forget (laughs) the daggone officials. uh, They, you know, we were really good at taking the charge and we took the charge and they called undercutting. Ah, And, And they not only shot two shots, they got the ball back. And, and, you know, that was, you know, that, that killed us because that was an eight point turnaround right there. And uh, I still think Lenny worse is the worst basketball referee oh, that ever, ever refereed the game. Yeah. Uh,
1: you know, I mean, Lenny, you know, being, uh, I know he, he refereed a long time. I remember him too.
2: He probably had a little short man complex. Oh, no question. <laughs> no. no question. Oh man! You know, I never ran into him after that. It's probably fortunate because you know I'm kind of a scrapper. I might have beat his head. That's right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, he's about five foot four. Yeah, he had a you know one of those. uh, I forget uh, you know what complex you call it, but it was sure there.
1: I hope he's not still alive. I don't know, man. I don't know. They, uh, where... yeah, well, yeah,
2: you know, quite <laughs> frankly, I don't care. They say don't, don't talk ill of the, the, those that have passed away, but That's right. I can't help it with him. Oh, man. <laughs> Hank, Hank Raymonds was on that game, too. Yeah. Not Hank Raymonds. Uh, Hank, uh, oh, uh, what was Hank's last name? Anyway, he was on that game. He's a good official. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, uh, you know, Lenny just took over. You know, I I still remember uh, how you know I wanted to cuss him, but I didn't.
1: Yeah, that that that's 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 interesting, right there. I mean, because referee, the best referees, right, Coach? You tell me, because you coach a lot longer than I have. Kind of stay out of the way, don't you? Don't you agree with that, particularly in championship games?
2: Absolutely. Uh, you know, the best referees you don't even know they're there. And and, uh, uh, I think a a guy named Marty Burdett was one of the best referees. You know, I've watched the film. You know, how many times can you say you had a perfect game? You never made a mistake. And I watched a, a, a game that he refereed and I watched it about four times. He never made a mistake. And I don't think I'd ever seen a game where I didn't think the referee made at least one mistake. Right. And usually, usually by the time you count up the referee's mistakes, uh, you've already won or lost the game on your own uh, mistakes. So, uh, you know, I, I never did think the referees made a, a huge difference, but I've been in a few games where they did, and that was one of them.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you hate to see referee, I, and I know referees never determine the outcome of a game. It's all because I know me as a coach, I make a lot of mistakes. My players make mistakes and we have to be held accountable for that. But I do see referees every once in a while trying to get noticed and that that's something that, but that that's all part of the game. They're human.
2: Yeah, that's for sure.
1: (laughs) Hey coach, Hey, before you go, um, I want you to try to help us out. You, um, what advice can you give to high school coaches now, kind of getting into coaching. Uh, I know, I know, you've learned a lot over the years, and you've persevered, and you coach at the not only at the college level but at the high school level. You've turned some high school programs around. What advice can you give to us, high school coaches, on how we can shape and influence our players and and run a great program?
2: Well, I think the biggest thing, uh, both college and, and high school is care for your players you know you if you care for them and they know you care for them they're going to give you everything they've got they're going to do what you ask of them and they're going to do it consistently and I think that's the the biggest thing and that's the reason why so many of my players still stay in, in touch with me is you know they know I they know I cared about them I did then and and I, I do now you know I've got one that uh, and he still gives me a hard time. He played for him in Indiana State. And he said, I cost him a pro career because I wouldn't let him shoot. And I, <laughs> right. I, I have to remind him, I said, Alex, you only shot 34% from the free throw line. How am I supposed to let you shoot from the perimeter? And, you know, every kid, you know, they, they think they have un, unbridled ability the, the toughest part of coaching, I think, is to teach a kid what his parameters are mm-hmm. and to have him play to his strength and stay away from his weakness. And I think that's the toughest thing there is. And the way you do that is you you coach him during the summer or, uh, right. at a time, you know, when it's just the two of you. And and you you talk about their their weakness and and strengthen their weakness and if they know you care enough about them to go to the gym and take your time and and spend your time with them they're going to give you everything they got and yeah. you know the the two kids that I've got the kid that I helped coach in in the villages uh, when he was a freshman and those two kids would call me and you know I'm single and retired you know. Uh, I I wasn't teaching, uh, you know, and they'd call and say, coach, would you let us in the gym? Well, in order for them to be in the gym, I would have to stay with them because the coach had to be in the gym in right. order for, for them to be in there. And uh, so I'd let them in the gym and I'd stay in as long as they wanted to shoot. And when players uh, like that, I mean, uh, Trey's, Trey's uh, playing for the Oklahoma uh thunder the Oklahoma city thunder now mm-hmm. and uh y- you know that's one of those kids he knows I cared about him then he knows I care about him now and uh, I think when you care about kids and they know it then they're going to give you everything they got uh that you know they don't have coaches clinics much anymore you know I used to go to four or five or six coaches clinics every summer and they just don't have many of them anymore. You know, uh, I was at uh, uh, probably three or four of, uh, uh, clinics that John Wooden spoke. Mm-hmm. I was at uh, Adolph Rupp's last clinic. Where would you think he would speak at his last clinic? Rupp, right? No, it wasn't Rupp Arena at the time. Uh, no, they didn't have Rupp Arena. They, they have didn't. Rupp Arena, yeah. What was the other gym? Well, it wasn't. it wasn't in Kentucky. Oh, wasn't it? who is his most hated rival Tennessee oh Tennessee Tennessee. Tennessee. okay they didn't play Louisville back when he was coaching I got you I got you he he's he did his last clinic at Tennessee and I was there it was great it was great
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's great yeah um hey tell me about a uh before you go um you got to give me one story about my wife, Nikki, on that. You got to tell me, uh, hey, and, and, yeah, I know you don't want to embarrass her and so forth. Uh, hey, tell me about what kind of player she was. I mean, you got to give me, you got to give
2: me some dirt, man. I'll tell you what. <laughs> when, when I saw where you were married to Nikki Haney, I said, well, I talked to this guy. Uh, you know, if he can corralled Nikki because she's one of the toughest players, I never saw a girl that was that, that aggressive. Yeah. She, yeah. She, she, hey, when she knocked the girl down, she didn't help her up, Now I love <laughs> yeah. it. I love no. it. Hey, she was tough. She was tough. Uh, you know, and John Carrick was their coach. He did a really yeah. good job with them. And uh, he and I would argue, but uh, uh, but we were good friends and, and got along. And, and we rode the same bus together, you know, right. Right. Uh, you know with, all, with those girls. So I got to be uh, really close with some of them. Uh, I really admired our girls. They played hard. And uh, that wasn't always easy, Carrick yelling at them. Of course, I never yelled at my players. Exactly. (laughs) I don't know if if you remember Jerome Shelton that played for me at Georgia College. And I was setting up the stands. They didn't know I was there. The players and this newspaper uh, guy come in and he he said, hey, would one of you talk, you know, give me an interview. And Jerome jumped up, I'll talk to you. And so the guy said, "Is Coach Hodges prejudiced?" And, and Jerome said, "No, he treats us all the same. Bad." <laughs> exactly. You're consistent. <laughs> oh
1: man, yeah. And, and it's, it's a little bit different these days, right, Coach? It's it's. I think coaching's changed. I think coaches have adjusted. I don't know if parents or players have gotten softer or coaches are more protective and softer. I don't know what it is, but I think coaching players hard is a compliment to them. I mean, you want to get them better.
2: You know, you you talk about uh, whether it's the coaches, the players, their parents, it's none of them. It's the administrators, Hmm. the principals, the athletic directors. You know, a friend of mine, Coach got fired for yelling at, at uh, players. I said, "Wait a minute, I wouldn't have lasted two days." You know, players have to know that you're. Hey, if you're my high school coach, Jim Steele said, "If I if I quit yelling at you, you know I've given up. I don't think you have it. He said, "As long as I'm yelling at you, you know you got a chance to be a good player." Right. And, and nowadays. You're not allowed to yell at them. And you have to be careful what you say. And that's right. for, it, it's this political, uh, uh, political speak or whatever they call it. You yeah. Know? yeah. And I think that, that's softened on everybody, you know, because you have to guard what you say. Uh, you know, uh, you, you, you can't imagine yelling at a player in, in practice uh, with his parents sitting in the, you know, I'll never forget one of my kids, and he's coaching now. He played uh, uh, three years at at University of Richmond. And then he played his graduate year at Louisville. And uh, he didn't play a lot at Louisville, but he played some. And, you know, his mom had walked in, and it was right at the end of practice, and I was just blessing him out. And, you know, I mean, what's the matter you? What's the matter with you? You know, you know, aren't you tough enough to stand this? <laughs> and, <laughs> sure. and his mom was, you know, she's an attorney, and she was standing there. And, and after practice, she said, "Do you always yell at at, uh, at these guys like that?" I said, "If they, if I quit yelling at them, they know that they're not very good." <laughs> right. Right. So, you know, she never said anything after that, and it, this kid's, you know, we're pretty close and he's going to be a great coach someday. Uh, you know, he's at uh, uh, Bridgewater now as an assistant. That's just his start. He, he'll be a head coach someday. And I think he'll be uh, at the division one level. Uh, yeah, he's really smart and he's tough. Uh, he, he's, he's got it together.
1: Yeah. And, and I mean, you were one of his mentors. I mean, I mean. That's what we as coaches do, right? We impact kids, and hopefully whatever profession they go into, they become professionals at whatever profession. And that's our they, job,
2: right, is to get them to well, become better people. Well, you know, uh, you, you talked about persevering. Uh, I think that's what team basketball basketball teaches. Well, t- all team sports teach you. When you get knocked down, you got to get back up and go again. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't lay there. You know, if you're going to be a success, you've got. It's like you get bucked off of a horse; you got to get back up and get it back on. And on. Uh, yeah. if you don't, if you don't play a team sport or something like that, uh you're not going to learn that. And uh, you know, the kid I was telling you about, uh, Keith Otto, uh, hey, he learned that the hard way. He <laughs> he had never played for anybody that yelled at him until he played for me, and uh, he hasn't forgotten it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but you helped them along the way. You toughen them up. You got you really cared about them, and that's really important, Coach. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I know a lot of coaches will want to get a hold of you and talk to you. Um, uh, what's the best way to get a hold of Coach Bill Hodges uh, if they wanted to? They wanted to get to know you.
2: Probably email. Okay, and you can put my email address out there. Okay, I definitely will for sure. Uh, so I think that a lot of younger
1: coaches and even older coaches like myself, we definitely need to connect with great legendary coaches like you. You have so much to offer. I know I learned so much uh, and so forth by having you share all those great stories and everything. So thank you for coming on, sharing your
2: journey, coach. I really appreciate it. Yeah. You better be nice to Nikki. <laughs> That's right. Hey, she she's level to beat up on your boy. She does. Hey, hey,
1: hey, hey! She runs our house, man. I I don't. She's tough, man. She keeps me in line. I bet. I bet. All right. All right, Coach. Take care, man. So much, man. I really appreciate. all and um, I do run a clinic every year. Matter of fact, we'll talk later about after we click off here. But I do run a clinic every year. I love to have you come out and uh, speak at my clinic that I run out here too.
2: Yeah, be glad to. All right. Thanks, Coach. All
1: right. Hi, this is Matt from Court Cart. The Court Cart is a great way to store your basketballs and is handy at practice. You can lock up 24 men's or 30 women's basketballs with our zippered top. The cart is sturdy and easy to roll around the court. The cart is $269 with free shipping. The Court Board is a whiteboard that attaches to the cart so you can draw plays up on the court. The Court Cart Court Board package is $528 with free shipping. You can find out more information on CourtCart.com.
2: This is Mike May, creator and owner of Practice Planner Live Software. I'm excited about partnering with Kevin Furtado and Championship Vision Podcasts. We share a common passion of helping basketball coaches be more effective in their profession. With over 26 years of basketball coaching experience, I created Practice Planner Live with the purpose of saving coaches valuable time in creating efficient and effective practice plans. John Wooden once said, if you fail to prepare, you prepare to fail. Practice Planner Live can take your practice planning to a whole nother level with two tools and functionality that will maximize your team's ability to reach their potential.